We hope you're blessed and encouraged by the following study from Calvary Chapel, Elmani. It's our simple prayer that you would grow stronger and deeper in an intimate and personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Should you have any questions, please feel free to contact us here at Calvary Chapel, Elmani. 9 through 14 of chapter 12. And the message is entitled, The Wise Preacher. Solomon come to the end of his book. If you've ever read the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon had, came to the Lord. He was wise at the beginning. He backslid. He went and did stuff that you 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 say, I would never, never say never. Solomon's a perfect example of that. And now he's old and he's coming back to God. And you can pick it up as you go through the book. In this last chapter, he um, has been trying to understand all the endeavors of man that's been done under the sun, that's a key phrase. Everything to satisfy himself, to fulfill himself with life, is like catching the wind. It goes right through your fingers. There's nothing that really satisfies you. All the claims of man, all that he promises, is more than it can deliver. If you've been in the world long enough, you know that. Sin is just like a big cotton candy. It looks so big, you put it in your mouth, the sucker's gone in a second. And you're left with cavities, man. That's just the way it is. He has searched high and low through science, pleasure, wine, building feats, women, 700 concubines, 300 wives. It's a regular Bugs Bunny. Did it satisfy him? No. Not at all. You got to be crazy to have more than one wife. Are you kidding me? Your heart's divided. Morality, ethics, he tried everything. Nothing fulfilled him. And therefore Solomon has warned the young person to remember their Creator in the days of their youth before the difficult days come. Just like yesterday, I was here back in the late 60s, early 70s. We used to train with Jimmy Wu, Kung Fu San Su back here. And we did that for 30-some years. We used to earn our living that way, my brother and I. Just like yesterday, I was 18, 21. I'm 63 years old. Overnight. <laughs> but thank God God saved me when I was 23. <laughs> God's mercy. How fast time goes. And so as he comes to the close of his epistle here, the letter, he warns a young person. You see, you want to put in that time so that when your time comes or whatever happens, you can draw from your youth. You can draw from the years that you've been in the Lord. You see, because most people die just like they live, you understand? I do believe that God saves some people in death's bad experiences, but I think it's the exception. I don't think it's the rule. Most people die like they live. Okay? Just the way it is. And so he warns a young person, because when we're young, we're easily deceived. We think we know better than the previous generations. But there's nothing new under the sun. It's all the same. It's just in a different package. But it's the same junk. And so here at the closing of his, of his book, Solomon, the preacher, deals with the purpose of writing the book of Ecclesiastes in verse 9 through 14. And it's threefold reason. Let me read here verse 9 to 14 of... Ecclesiastes here, chapter 12. Hang on here, I turned to the wrong one here. Chapter 12, verse 9 through 14. He says, and moreover, because the preacher was wise, he still taught the people knowledge. Yes, he pondered and sought out, set in order many proverbs. The preacher sought to find acceptable words, and what was written was upright words of truth. The words of the wise are like goads, and the words of scholars are like well-driven nails given by one shepherd. And further, my son, 
be admonished by these. Of making many books, there is no end. And much study is weariness to the flesh. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep the commandments. For this is man's all. For God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. And so, Solomon here, the preacher, gives you the purpose of writing the book. It is threefold. First, to teach God's word. Verse 9 and 10. That's the first reason why he wrote this book. Secondly, verse 11 and 12, to teach God's word effectively. And then thirdly, 13 and 14, to teach the duty of man regarding God's word. To teach the word, to teach it effectively, and to teach it regarding God's word. Let's begin here with verse, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. So the purpose of the Proverbs was to teach God's word, verse 9 and 10. Look at verse 9. The teaching of God's word is is a mark of wisdom. Solomon had been known for his wisdom when he walked with God, as you know. He had been sought out in 1 Kings 4, 29 through 33 by everybody, all the kings, everybody around came to hear him. They heard about him, they wanted to seek him out. His wisdom was exceedingly great, his understanding Remember the parable, the, the, the story of the two hearts that came. They said, listen, you know this, we both had a baby and, you know, overnight she rolled over, killed hers, and she took mine and switched it around. And she said, no, 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 he's my kid. He says, hey, cut the baby in two, give her half, give her half. No, no, let her have him. He says, give the baby that one. She's the real one. She's a real mother. Wow, everybody's stoked. But remember, God appeared to him. God asked him, what do you want, Solomon? He says, give me wisdom. I'm like a child because I don't know how to go in and go out to lead your people. And God said, because you asked for wisdom and you didn't ask for gold, you didn't ask for your enemies, I'm going to give you everything. That's how he began. But that's not how Solomon finished. He began wise, but he became a fool. And now in his old age, he realized he wasted his life. What an instruction for us in the book. Now I thank God he came back. But he realizes, man, he was chasing the wind. The Queen of Sheba said, uh, half of what was told to me is not, I didn't believe it, but half of it wasn't even told to me. I mean, Solomon was just incredible. But he had been led astray by his foreign wives in 1 Kings 11, 1 through 4. He became unequally yoked. He started marrying the women of the other nations, which God told him the law not to do so. And I see this a lot inside the church through the years, you know. Young men who they're, they're being used of God, they come out of the world and everything, but you know, or then they say, well, you know, it's different. I got this girl, but she's a real nice girl, you know, but, you know, but, 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 but she, she's not a Christian. What are you doing? You're playing with fire. And somehow they think they're the exception. And before you know it, you get too close to fire and you get burned, right? Solomon got burned big time. He multiplied wives to himself, as I said, a thousand women. Crazy. He's got brain damage. Solomon had now returned to God. Once again, he was wise. Even though you lose everything, if you return back to God, you're a wise man. The preacher, the word there is the one who gathers an assembly to teach. This is Solomon. He identifies himself from chapter 1 on. He's the one. The preacher Solomon has contrasted the wise with the fool through his book. He does through Proverbs, distinguishing himself from the fool. I used to be a fool. Now I'm wise again. The preacher's wisdom had to do with life in relationship to one's creator. That's always the wise. If, if I'm living life apart from Jesus Christ, my creator, then, then I'm a fool. Because I can't understand life apart from him. He created me for him. He created me for a purpose in life. To glorify him. To become more like him. 
Notice and still in nine, the teaching of God's word is to impart spiritual knowledge. The knowledge that Solomon is teaching is God's, not man's words. We don't just get up here and talk about ourselves or brag about ourselves. We, we look to the word of God. We get a text like we're doing right now. The individuals that he taught were the people of God, the community of God's redeemed. Those that can understand God's word. He would inform them about the mind of God, the will of God, what, what pleased God. You have Christians that get born again, but they don't get grounded in the word of God. And they're like a kite without a string. They go all, they're all over the place. They don't know what they believe. You've got to know the word of God. You know, you get pulled over by a cop in the, in the freeway and, 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 and he gives you a ticket. And you say, well, I never knew that. He says, well, you have a license? Yeah, well, you're responsible for the whole vehicle code. Are you a Christian? That's what you're responsible for. All of God's word. If you don't know God, you're not going to know it overnight. But you start one book at a time. And you move through the years. The Word of God. Notice at the end of 9 and 10, the teaching of God's Word is done through various ways. By Proverbs, which are pondered and sought out. The word pondered there means to weigh, to indicate the pair of scales, to test, to prove, to consider. You concentrate, you look. And this is the only time it appears here in the Old Testament in this form. The phrase sought out means to investigate, to examine thoroughly, to explore. Like a scientist. The word is used of God to search out the heart of man in Jeremiah 79. Both of these describe the tedious method of, of to ensure the best result and benefit of the word of God. There's regular reading that I do in the morning. I go through the Bible once a year and I just read and let God just minister to me. But then there's other times I have to take a book and I read it over and over again. I tear it up. I ask questions. I, I divide the things. I look into the key words, key phrases. I tear it up. That's study. That's different. But I have just devotional time where I let the God just minister to me. You know what I mean? This is what he's talking about. Now the end product was the arranging of many proverbs. He spoke 3,000 proverbs. And his songs were 1,005. First Kings 4.32 tells us. This guy was, was prolific, man. I mean, he was, he, he was all kinds of stuff. The Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, the king of Israel is the introduction of the Proverbs, the book of Proverbs. The men of Hezekiah copied um, some of Solomon's Proverbs and uh, recorded them for us, uh, beginning Proverbs 25.1. The book of Ecclesiastes contains many Proverbs. Chapter 10 is a good example when you get a time. Little Proverbs. Little misty little things, sayings that just hit you. There's a lot of little things that God gives to me. I see, you know, fungus among us. You know, or stuff like that. Little things. And they, it, it kind of hits you. You know what I mean? Little things, little nails. We have a little radio broadcast we've had for years. And I, it's just four little minutes. That's all we do. It's just a little nail that hits you for the day. You know, concentrate it. But notice also by seeking to find acceptable words, and the word acceptable means pleasant, delightful. Those words that communicate and make clear the intent and purpose of the book, bringing glory to God and benefit to man. Before we did everything for ourselves. Oh, we had a good friends, two or three that, you know, we were kind of loyal and faithful to, but for the most part, there were hooks everywhere, right? You know, what is that going to get for me? The words and phrases that are key to the book, like vanity, which means a vapor of breath, vanity of spirit. 38 times in the book of Ecclesiastes. He went after women, vanity. He went after building feats, vanity. He went after this, vanity. Everything, it all just slips through you. There's, there's no real satisfaction. There's always something else you got to go after. The other expression that is equivalent to it is grasping for the wind seven times in Ecclesiastes. The wind's blowing, you try to grab it, it just goes right through your finger. That's how everything happens, you know. You can't hang on to nothing. And the word profit there means advantage, benefit, sense of a goal appearing only six times in this book. You're pressing forward. The word see appears 46 times, describing critical Observation, to gain knowledge. 
When we study the Word of God, we call it inductive Bible study, exegesis. From here, only what's in there comes out. I said Jesus when you read into it. Like you read a verse, and it, let's just say the verse says, and, and the Lord, and, and the Lord uh, blessed the man. And you say, well, the Lord blessed the man because he was good. It doesn't say because he was good. It just says the Lord blessed the man. That's all it says. So then I say, okay, the word blessing means this in the Hebrew or the Greek, whatever. And it's the man, the one who's receiving this. That's all that verse says. But too often people read a verse and they add all kinds of other stuff and they're saying things the Bible doesn't say. That's eisegesis. Exegesis is what comes out of the text alone. So you've got to be a good observer. What's there? You know, if you look in your wallet and you only have two fives, you don't say there's $200 bills. They're just not there. All there is is two fives. And a lot of dust. <laughs> the word portion is another word. Word toil, repeat it. Under the sun means everything that goes on. Under the sun, the activities of man. And all these things are only good if they are directed by God and they bring glory to God. Because everything we do in life, if it's not for Him, it's for us. We're all there. It's all about us. Notice he says, by writing what is upright, there in verse 10, straight or right, the ideas of what's honorable, moral, ethical. So now we have a standard. We serve a holy God. We understand that. By teaching words of truth, reliable, correct in nature, the truth is in regards to the things of God, the things of man, sin, death, hell, heaven. Not a lot of people don't like that. They want to go to church when they don't talk about sin and you don't, don't condemn anybody. They're all PC'd out. I tell people from pulpit in Pasadena, we're not a PC church here. We shoot straight. If you're here and you don't know Jesus Christ, you're on your way to hell. Now, you don't have to go to hell. But you have all the right to go to hell. But you get to choose whether you go to hell or not. God has made the way for you to go to heaven. You have to literally reject the love of God and sin against the love of God and say no, no, no to the day you die. And if you're stubborn enough and if you're callous enough and if you think you're bad enough, you will end up in hell. But you've got to really work at it. But if you agree with God, then he can save you and forgive you. And he says you'll be in heaven. Not because you're good, because you're good for nothing. And you agree with him. That's why. People always tell you know, all these guys, these secular guys, they say, well, man is good. Really? Show me one. I say, you want to begin with you? No way. We're rotten to the core. You know, when Helen Keller was taught sign language and everything else, and she moved on to her education, the pain and, and, and the task and the commitment of, of her teacher, Miss Sullivan, just teaching line upon line and patience and everything else and all that she did, how much more and greater wonder is it when a man is taught the Word of God and now he is able to function as a man of God to minister to people and to lead them to heaven? Wow. I mean, it's nice if you have a, a profession and maybe you're good with wood or maybe you're a mechanic, and that's great. But you talk about being able to know God's Word and you can direct people to heaven. You can pull them out of the fire. You can say, listen, you're headed for hell. Listen, this is what the Bible says. If you die in your sin, you will go to hell. If you repent from your sins, He will forgive you. He'll make a new creature of you. He will give you eternal life. He will fill you with His grace and His love. And to do it without being condescending or, or, or thinking you're better, but your heart is poured out and, and, and your confidence in that, people freak, get freaked out. 
How can you say it? Because the Bible says it. Not my words. Why can you say they go to hell? Because they are going to go to hell. If they die in their sin, they're going to go to hell. What do you want me to say? They're going to go to heaven? Then I'd be lying. I don't lie. I used to lie. People don't want truth. They don't want reality today, see? They want a church where everybody's kind of nice and dressed nice and we talk about God's love and how good we are and how neat we are. No, no, no. We're all messed up. What are you talking about here? A bunch of sinners. The emphasis on teaching the Word of God is throughout the Word of God. Deuteronomy, Acts, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, Titus, teach, teach, teach. Acts 17, 11, be a good Berean, examine to find out if those things are so. Somebody says, well, you, there's a lot of junk in the church today, a lot of the immersion church. It's a bunch of junk. You've got a lot of the Reformed theology of, of, of Calvinism, which is attacking a lot of Calvaries. Okay? Do you know how to defend it? Do you know how to say you're crazy? Very, very important. People get off. They go beyond the scriptures. They look at the scriptures through colored glasses. The scriptures compare and teach the scriptures. It's not for private interpretation. We don't do that. The scriptures interpret the scriptures. So we let the Bible speak for itself. The teaching of God's word is not always the priority in many churches. There's a lot of activities, a lot of organizations, a lot of difference, a lot of planning. But the, the Word of God is not the focus. And when they do, they've got ten minutes of the Word of God. That's crazy. The Word of God is it. Hosea 4, 6 says, My people are destroyed for the lack of knowledge because you have rejected knowledge. I also will reject you from being priests over me or for me. Because you have forgotten the law of your God, I also will forget your children. And so the Word of God is a priority. If I don't know the Word of God, it's like not having a, a map book. How do I know I'm going to get there? How do I know when I get there? Where does it know that I'm going? I've got to know the Word of God. The people of God are taught through the narrative stories, through law, through history, through prophecy. There's different types of literature in the Bible. But all scriptures inspired of God. Second Timothy three sixteen and seventeen. Literally, God breathed. And Second Peter chapter one verse nineteen through twenty one says that the men of old did not speak of their own impulse or origin. Now the King James, King James is still the best translation, and the New King James, both of them. Okay, but that verse they just jacked up in Second Peter. It says that the scriptures are of no private interpretation, completely off the wall. This is what it says in the Greek. That the scriptures are of no private origin or impulse. In other words, the men of old did not speak of their own impulse or origin, but they were carried along by the Spirit of God and spoke as the Holy Spirit inspired them. That's what it says. Okay? So we don't interpret. That's not what it means. It means that the men of old did not speak. When they want, I mean, when they, when they were just hanging out, they were regular people, like you and I. But when God's Spirit came upon them, to speak or to write the scriptures, they were inspired, inerrant and infallible. So that what you possess in your lab, gentlemen, is God's inerrant, infallible word. There's not a mistake in it, in the original autographs. Now, most, most Christians don't believe that today. I got a Fuller Seminary. I call it Fuller Cemetery down the street from me. Okay? They don't believe in the inspiration of scripture, the inerrancy. They believe there's theirs. They changed years ago. It's a school of psychology, not a school of theology. It boasts in being the greatest missionary uh, uh, seminary. It is not. But people say a lot of things today. doesn't make it so. This is what proves you're right or wrong. Very important. So the purpose of the preacher was to teach God's word. That's the heart of it, guys. You are the high priest of your home. If you don't know the Word of God, how are you running your home? If you don't know the Word of God, how are you directing your children? If you don't know the Word of God, how do you know where you're going? How to live? You've got to know the Word of God. Notice secondly, in verse 11 and 12, the purpose of the preacher was to teach God's Word effectively. So it's not just to teach. But you do it good. In order to bring God's people 
to do the will of God. The words of the wise are like goads, he says. The, the wise, in this case, is Solomon, the preacher, whose words are like goads, which were sharp nails that were used for the ox. And they would be placed on the, on, the, on the cart behind it, so when they put the yoke on the ox to pull it, when they got rebellious, they would kick back, and when they kicked, that nail would go right in the hoof. And, oh, that hurt. And it would teach him, don't do that. So you learn. <laughs> that goat corrected him. That's what that nail was. He understood real quick. If you kick back, it's going to hurt. So what does he do? He submits. The word of God is like a goat. It makes me submit. Because if I don't align myself with the word, then... I make stupid decisions and I bring pain to my life and the life of others, right? It's to correct me. So the benefit is twofold. The ox would not really be hurt so that it couldn't work. The farmer would care for the ox and the farmer would get his field plowed, right? There's benefit on both ends. The words of God are like goals. They bring pain into our lives if we're rebellious. The sooner we align ourselves with God's word, the less pain we experience. It happens automatically. If you're a non-believer, then you need to be born again. If you're a believer, you need to align yourself with the word of God. It's like a plumb line. Okay, when you hang a plumb line, no one ever says, that sucker's crooked. No, it's the wall that's always crooked. The plumb line's never crooked. This is the plumb line. This is never crooked. I'm the one that's crooked. I have to align myself with the plumb line. Now, what's happening today in many churches, even Calvary chapels, people are getting to emerging churches. And all of a sudden now, we're not talking about sin. We're talking about all this other junk. Somebody's smoking something. You better line up with the plumb line. See, churches are crowded. Pastors' conferences are crowded. Conferences are crowded. But the road to heaven is not crowded. So if you're bumping elbows, you're on the road to hell. The road to heaven is not crowded at all. Gentlemen, the disciples asked Jesus, are there many to be saved? He says, few. Straight is the way and narrow is the gate. And few there be that find it. Agonized to enter in. Wow. Listen to me very careful, gentlemen. The majority is always wrong. Eight got in the boat. The rest of the world died. Two entered the promised land over the age of 20 from the three million that came out of the Exodus. The majority is always wrong. So make sure you're in the minority. <laughs> okay? Make sure. And how do you know you're in the minority? Because you are lined up with the plumb line. It's real simple. The word of God. Not what your pastor tells you. Not what another man tells you. But what does the word of God say? That's the plumb line. Notice in order to bring stability to God's people's lives. And the words of the scholar are like well-driven nails. Goes in well-driven nails. The scholar is the master assembler. This case, Solomon. The nails are straight pieces of metal that you know, that you put, you know, and you got a hit on one end, you smack them and you put them in, and they hold things together. You use nails to build things, to attach things, to, to just, you know, do many things. If you use them right, they work. The Word of God is like well-driven nails. They penetrate the heart of the lost man, the one who doesn't know God. The gospel is preached, it pierces his heart. Now he's got to make a decision. Do I repent or do I rebel? Wow. 
Acts 2, Peter preached, and they said, what must we do? It says the word of God pierced their heart. What must we do to be saved? You look at chapter 8 of Acts in Samaria. Instead, or at the end of 7, when they stoned uh, Stephen, rather than repenting, they, they, they got their neck stiff. And they rebelled. It's always a choice. How are you going to respond to God's word? Repenting is good. The word of God penetrates the heart. It brings conviction. The word of God strengthens our life. It brings perseverance to our life. It makes me strong. It makes me endure. It gives me faith. It gives me hope. It gives me courage. It gives me confidence. It tells me how to fight that, that uh, spiritual warfare with the armor of God, the spirit of God. By the way, there's no armor in the back, so don't run. So if you're married, get back to back. Because the first ones to divide you is the little beggars of your children. They'll try to go to mommy. So you and mommy have to be in accord. We don't make decisions based on emotions. We make decisions based on God's truth. And those kids have to know we're one. If they ever think you're two, you're dead. Okay? One time my son, when he was in high school, you know, he, I was off on a trip for the ministry and that, and he thought he'd pull a fast one. And uh, when my son was home and, and um, his friends were saying, Oh, you're cool, Mrs. Reese. You won't tell X's dad. Judy goes, No, you're right. X is going to tell his dad. <laughs> we're one. I always tell the ladies at the church, be a good squealer. The sooner your children find out you're a squealer, the sooner that your house is going to be better off. Real simple. Okay? You don't have consequences, you destroy authority. Simple. Now notice, in order to teach his own son too. Verse 12. The reference to my son is to Rehoboam. Now Rehoboam, you know, was a jackass. Unwise. A fool. He never paid heed. Rather than taking the kingdom, he divided the kingdom. They all came together and said, okay, listen, hey. The wise men told Rehoboam, what should I do? They want some relief. They said, well, you know, give him some relief. Your dad was kind of hardcore on him. You know, release some taxes and they'll serve you forever. But he went to his friends, you know, the cool guys. They said, what should I do? Ah, these guys. If you give them an inch, they're going to want a mile. So he goes back and says, you know, my dad was a little finger. I'm going to be a thigh. Hey, what do we have to do with the house of Jeroboam? Everybody to his own house. The kingdom's divided. Ten tribes go north. Two tribes stay with, his, with uh, Judah. Judgment. A wise man who became a fool, who returned to be a wise man, had the son was a bigger fool. You can teach your sons and daughters, gentlemen, you pray for them and you show them the way, but they have a free will. Not all of our wives will be in heaven. Not all of our husbands will be in heaven. Not all of our children might be in heaven. We always think because we're Christians, our whole family will be there. Now, there's going to be some families, all of them will be there. But it's an individual choice. God has no grandchildren. So you always have to encourage your children and warn them and remind them of the consequences. Yours when they're in your house and God's when they're not in your house. And that God's no fool. They may think you're a fool, but remind them God's no fool. Okay? Whatever man sows, that he shall also reap. No one gets away with it. And so if your children are not walking with God, then you pray for them. You draw those lines, you warn them, but you don't compromise with them. You don't become part of their sin. If you really love them, you hold the mark. When my son was away from the Lord for about 16 years, he's, he's been you know, in the Marines for 16 years. He was in, in um, Forest Recon, and then he was in Iraq and all that. And um, um, His buddy got killed. He got shot in the chest, and I don't know how it didn't go through his vest and everything else. And I used to tell X, X, don't die without the Lord. I want to see you in heaven. Wherever you're at, call on the Lord. He will forgive you. 
but don't die without him. I will never see you in heaven. Remember, you make sure you remind your children that. Okay? Now it's my grandchildren. I just tell my grandson the day, Gage, promise me one thing, if grandpa dies before the Lord comes, you walk with God. Because I want to see you in heaven. You let no one take you from God. Not a woman, not money, nothing. And you have to say it over and over and over and over. Because we're dealing with eternity, gentlemen. Our children. Rehoboam was to know that books written by men were many and there was no end to them. Now, Solomon is not speaking against learning. It's just learning in the knowledge of man without the knowledge of God. If you know the Word of God, then you'll be able to find all the lies of the human books. Because I know the Word of God. I know that evolution is a big lie. People may think they're smart with their whole evolutionary theory. To me, they're idiots. Because I know the Word of God. Maybe their ancestors swung from a tree, but not mine. It's ridiculous. The most simple cell is not that simple. Give yourself trillion years, because we all know what trillions are with Obama now. Um, trillion years wouldn't be enough time for the most simple cell. It's so complex. There, that simple cell has to exist as is completely. It can't evolve progressively. It wouldn't survive. It's just simple common sense. But it's the religion of the world today, not only of our nation. Because if you can do away with God, then you can do away with morality, accountability, and the survival of the fittest. And then killing babies is no big deal. And then denying medical attention to the old people, euthanasia is no big deal. And so all you have is a young producing, and they think that they're going to escape it, but they're going to be old. <laughs> it's all a big game. How can I shoot through this stuff if I know the Word of God? Simple. Rehoboam wants to know that a life of study of these books wearies a man. There's a lot of smart people that are very dumb out there in the world. They even have a degree to prove that they're dumb. And, and they're proud of it. Amazing. I'm not, I'm not against education. Get all the education you can. Then once you get it, get over it. You're okay. You sift everything through the Word of God. Everything. One per, put it this way. Neglect your business and become bankrupt. Neglect your health and be in your grave. Neglect your fields and have no harvest. Neglect your soul and be damned. The most valuable thing you possess is your soul, gentlemen. If you lose that, I don't care what you have. They have never buried anybody with all their stuff. No hearse has ever pulled a U-Haul. They won't even bury you with your shoes. You leave everything behind. The poor and the rich man, they both leave the exact same amount. Everything. The scriptures tell us that God chastens those he loves and he disciplines them in Hebrews 12, 5 and 6, Proverbs chapter 3, verse 11. And so if we're good fathers and we chasten our children, because God's a great father, he chastens us. He disciplines us. The purpose of the church is to teach the saints in order that they not be tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine in Ephesians four sixteen through 11. So if you teach the word of God, then your church is stable, like these pillars. They hold up the roof. You cut these pillars off, the sucker's coming down. So you've got to be stable, men. The church is to be run by men, not by women. The problem is we've got too many girly men in the church today. Men aren't men anymore. It's amazing. The church is to be run by men. Read First Timothy, Second Timothy. The women serve under the men. Not as dictators, but as type of Christ. 
They serve under the man for protection, for direction. A type of Christ. But too many men have taken the back seat on the word of God and they let the woman know the word. And most women know more about the Bible than the men. That's terrible. We're to know the word of God, gentlemen. We're the high priest. Very, very important. The shepherds or pastors of the church are really under shepherds of Jesus Christ. There's nobody shepherd. I'm not. I, I, I'm an under shepherd. Jesus is the shepherd of the church. And we follow him. And if you're following Jesus, then you'll be a good leader. If you're not following Jesus, you're going to be a terrible leader. How do you know you're a leader? Real simple. Ready? Look, look back. If people follow you, you're a leader. Now, are you a good leader or a bad leader? That's a whole different question. If you're following Jesus, you'll be a good leader. If you're not following Jesus, you're going to be a bad leader. Because there's some natural leaders. I mean, people follow them. I think of Obama. The charisma he has. This guy has been groomed for such a time. This is God's judgment to our nation. He has that charisma. He leads as an organizer. But he's not a good leader. He's a bad leader. Because he's destroying a nation. He's serving his own end. He's contradicting the plumb line of this nation, the Constitution. It's simple. So, you have to decide whether you want to be a good leader or a bad leader. It'll all be determined by whether you know the Word of God. So you can put on the mind of Christ. The purpose of the preacher was to teach God's Word effectively. So, not only me as a pastor, but me as the head of my home. Once my children are gone, now I have my grandchildren. And I just, I spent time with my grandkids about the Bible and all that. I said, okay. I took them to go get a hamburger whenever they're out there eating and all that. And, and, and I said, okay, here's the book of Genesis, okay? Okay, creation, fall, nations, Babylon, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You've got Genesis. And I hadn't repeated. So they remember it. Creation, the fall, nations, Babylon. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You've got Genesis, guys. Repeat it. I brainwash them. Then I move to Exodus. And I move them through the books. I give them a little picture for them like that. As they get older, teach them different. Hit it from every angle. I want them to be walking Bibles, man. If God tarries, they're the church of tomorrow. If God tarries, God help America. The only hope for America is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Nothing else. Notice third and last in verse 13 and 14. The purpose of the preacher was to teach the duty of man regarding God's word. In 13, Solomon concludes that the whole duty of man is to fear God. And the word fear them means to revere him uh, as well as terror. It appears 314 times in the Old Testament. And the idea is to stand in awe of God as who he is. He's powerful. He's holy. The idea also is that of worship, out of love and respect, not merely fear. Now, when I grew up, I loved my dad. And because I loved my mom and dad, though I was a rat, I was real careful what I did. I didn't want to get busted and hurt my parents. And on the other side, I feared my dad. That's a good, healthy balance. Love and fear. You understand? Respect and fear. That's good. Thunder and lightning. You know what I mean? It's good, good, good balance. The commentary of John Wesley is valuable at this point. Listen carefully. The reference to the conclusion, he says, is the sum of all that has been said or written by wise men. The reference to the fear of God, which is put here, is for all the inward worship of God, reverence and love and trust and devotedness of heart to serve and to please him. 
The reference to the whole matter is his whole work of business, his whole perfection and happiness. It is the sum of what man needs either to know, do, or to enjoy life. That's it. The more you grow in the Lord, guys, the more you will enjoy life. You'll enjoy your wife. You'll enjoy other people. The less you know God, the more selfish you're going to become. I must decrease. He must increase. It's real simple. John the Baptist said that. Notice Solomon concludes that the whole duty of man is to keep God's commandments also at the uh, second half of 13. The commandments of God deal with, the, with two things. Man's relationship to God, the first table of the law, and man's relationship to man, the second table of the law, the vertical and the horizontal. Jesus affirms that he was asked which was the greatest commandments. He says, love the Lord thy God with all your heart, mind, and soul. Love your neighbors yourself. Okay? And these two lie all the commandments. Okay? The priests, the, the prophets, and that. And so you have the vertical axis, our relationship to God. Everything comes from it, and then the horizontal. So our relationship with God has to be first. Once I have that right, then my relationships on the, on the earthly level, my wife, my friends, is going to be good. But if I'm not right with God, the rest is all messed up. Absolutely. Notice the commandments as law only point to our guilt. They don't justify us. He's talking from the Old Testament. So people that try to live by the law, there's no way. The law accuses me. And any of you guys ever been stopped by a cop on the freeway and they give you a, a certificate for good driving? <laughs> the law condemns you. It makes you guilty. When they stop you, they're going to bust you. And then we get all ticked off. But I deserve a ticket every time I get behind the wheel. And then I act like, oh man, I'm the greatest driver. No, I, I deserve a ticket. I break the law all the time. Even as a Christian. We're lawbreakers. That's why we have laws. Go to the mall. You have a sign there that says wet paint. Don't touch. What do you do? You touch it. The law provokes me to sin. You tell me no? <laughs> they should put their wet paint, please touch. Nobody touch it. That's why those stupid signs on the grass, don't walk on the grass, are dumb. <laughs> You're, are you kidding? You're asking for it. Everybody's going to be on the lawn. Because we're lawbreakers. Absolute lawbreakers. Just look at a little kid at two, three months old. You take him home. They're little. They're not, they grab something and you go, no. And then next time they go, they know. You tell me, you know, okay, dude. But they're looking. You know why? Because they're your kids. They're just like you, little sinners. I tell people in the church, the problem with your kids is they live with you. They're just like you. They're sinners. Every time a woman brings a baby in the world, another rotten sinner. And so Solomon concludes that the whole duty of man is to keep God's commandments. Commandments of God, to enjoy God, to enjoy man, to enjoy life. And then notice lastly here in verse 14, Solomon concludes that the reason for the whole duty of man, which is to fear God and to keep his commandments, is that God will judge every person in the world. See, not everybody believes that. God will bring every work into judgment, he says. The believer at the beam of seat of Christ for reward. In 1 Corinthians 3, 12 through 15. We will be judged before God for our motive, not our salvation. Why I did what I did and how I did it. 1 Corinthians 4, 5 is the motive of the heart, love. If love is not my motive, then I get no reward. I can do things here to, that would benefit you, but if my heart is to show off or to think that I'm cool, I get no reward from God. He knows why I'm here. So we can fool people, but we can't fool God. So we will be rewarded according to the motives of our heart. But the non-believer at the white throne judgment in Revelation 20, they will be judged for everything they ever did. Stop and think of your life. okay? Of all that you ever did, forget, even if you were the most perfect person, the minute you're born again, you deserve hell. I mean, the minute you're born into this world, you deserve hell. 
The minute a baby comes into the world, they deserve hell because they're sinners. Now, God takes care of little kids before the age of knowledge because God is just. Okay? So we don't have to worry about that. Okay? If God was merciful enough to save me, a rotten sinner, his judgment would be okay for a baby. You don't have to worry about God's judgment. Okay? He'll take care of all that. But stop and think of where you were at and all the things you did and that you're going to go before the judgment seat of God and you have to give an account for everything you did. What are you going to say? Uh, you think you're going to be able to say, well, you know, look at my good stuff I did. The bad, all I, you're going to balance it? I doubt it. But when I would go before God, I said, because of my, your son, he died for me. He became sin for me. And he gave me his forgiveness. That's my ticket in. And my life reflected your life. Grace. Amazing. So everybody will be judged, but not everybody believes that. In fact, today much of the gospel is being preached. There's no judgment. We're all going to be okay. God of love. Rob Bell, one of the gurus of um, the emergent church, he wrote a book, uh, Love Wins Out at the End. Everybody's going to go to heaven. Even Satan. Oh, really? And they call themselves Christians. We are weird as a nation. What is wrong with the church? I mean, the world's whacked out because it's sin, but what's wrong with the church? Rick Warren. What an idiot. What a deceiver. Everybody raves over him. Are you kidding me? Put him to the plumb line. Fall short. Fall short. I've no problem saying that. Who cares? Too many whiny pants today. Too many people are fearful. Listen, Christ went to the cross for you. Martyrs have died for us that we can have this word. Past generations have died persecution so we can have this word and I can preach tonight. Am I not willing to lay my life down? I mean, I, I was willing to lay my life down for stupid things at parties and everything. How stupid is that? Because someone looked at my girl? Because someone's mad dogging me or something? And I'm willing to lay my life down for stupid things like that, but I'm not willing to lay my life down for the gospel and the truth of the word? <laughs> I died in 1973 when I accepted the Lord. I have to understand that. God help you if you're a man, gentlemen. I'm not talking about being arrogant or being stupid. I didn't, I didn't respect people in the world. I didn't fear people in the world. Why should I do it now in the Lord? Not in your life. Especially in the critical time of our nation. And the world. Where people need to hear the gospel straightforward. What a great privilege we have. Our greatest need is not more knowledge, but rather to put into practice what we already know. The people of our nation, as well as many of the church, have lost the sense of understanding of the fear of God. And there are people that sit in church Sunday after Sunday, even under good Bible teachers, and they're living with their girlfriend, with their boyfriend. They're getting loaded, they're getting drunk. And it's just like water off a duck's back. Ooh, that's dangerous. Ooh, that's dangerous. If you're going to live like that, go back in the world. You're not doing God a favor. I mean, you think God's up there going, how lucky I am, I got him in the kingdom. Why would you want to play games in the church? You don't want to be a pancake half done, do you? If you do and you put that in your mouth, you spit it out right now. Lukewarm. By the way, you become lukewarm from both directions. Most people don't know that. I put a hot glass of tea here. Ice cold glass of water. I walk away, come back five hours later. They're both lukewarm. You can get lukewarm from either direction. What keeps you on fire? Your passion for God. The Word of God. There's no cruise control on the road, gentlemen. You got 32 gears. You got to use them. 
You've got to go forward. And so, we have to make sure we don't harden our heart. That we're moving forward. We're abiding in Christ. We keep our accounts short. He's given us 1 John 2, 1. He says, My little children, I write these things to you that you do not practice sin. But if you stumble, if you fall on your face, you have Jesus Christ the righteous to make intercession for you. He's the lawyer for the defense. But here's the difference. He's a different lawyer than lawyers here on earth. He's a lawyer that you have to agree with him. When you fail as a Christian, you know what happens, right? Sin cuts fellowship from God, right? You're on your cell phone. You hit a hole. That's what happens when you sin. You're out of fellowship with God. So 1 John 2 1 says, I'm the lawyer for your defense, but you have to agree with me. There's no plea bargaining, and there's no saying you didn't sin. You've got to tell him what you did, and then ask to forgive you, and then he'll, as you agree with him, he'll cleanse you. That's the condition. Okay? So he's a real lawyer. He doesn't plea bargain, and he doesn't take innocent cases. There's not one innocent. So he's there to keep you on target so you stay abiding in Christ. And God will bless you. You become more like him, less like you. None of us are perfect. When I go target shooting, I can pretty much hit the bullseye. Once in a while I don't because I'm a bad shot at times because I'm not perfect. But I'm a Christian now. I don't live the way I used to. Okay? When you go to the store and they give you a pencil, you go buy a pencil, you have about eight inches of, uh, of lead. And then they give you a little piece of rubber like that. You say, well, a bunch of tight wads. Well, no, no. They just, they, just, they just believe that you know how to write. And the, because you're not perfect, once in a while you'll make a mistake. So in proportion to those mistakes, that rubber should last you for the eight inches of lead. The grace of God is sufficient. It's not for you to turn the pencil around and just start using the eraser. If you do, then either you're not born again or you're awfully backslidden. I'll let you tell me which one it is. Stay on track, gentlemen. Keep your accounts short. You're the high priest of your home. It will affect your home. It will affect your children. Real simple. The purpose of the preacher was to teach the duty of man regarding God's word. And so here you have the conclusion of Solomon, the purpose of writing the book, to teach God's word, to teach God's words effectively, and to teach the duty of man regarding God's word. Wow, what a great way to close this book, knowing that he threw away his life and he's giving advice to the young men. Those that he know have the same potential as he did. If you don't think you can commit adultery on your wife, you probably will. You and I have every potential to do the worst of things if we don't walk with God. It's just that simple. Never say never. I am rotten to the core unless I walk with God. It's been 40 years since I've accepted the Lord. You want to go sin? I'm ready to go. I'm a good sinner. I haven't forgotten. I don't want to go there though. It's a daily choice. And so as you give yourself to the word, as Paul concludes Romans, he says, I beseech you by the mercy of God, you present your body a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable him, which is your reasonable service. And be not fashioned to this world system, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind to prove what is a good, acceptable, and the perfect will of God. Word of God, man, nothing like it. A hammer. It'll keep your path straight. Lord, thank you for your love and goodness. We thank you for tonight. I pray for my brothers, your hand be upon them. And Lord, I thank you for this fellowship and for Manny and all the men that are here. And Lord, I pray that you speak to those that are here that perhaps do not know you. Lord, you minister to them your love and your grace and the sufficient for their lives, Lord. As you're praying, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, 
then God has brought you here to be saved, to repent of your sins. I'm not going to have you get up and come forward as most people do. I just do it right where you sit. If you believe that you're a sinner and you believe Jesus is God who died for you, then you can call upon him and he will save you. And he'll forgive you of your sins and give you a brand new life. Right where you sit right now, if you want to be born again, you can repeat this prayer. It's a prayer of repentance that Jesus requires of every sinner. As you agree with him that he's the Savior, you're the sinner, and he alone can save you. So you can repeat right where you sit if you want to be born again. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. I ask you to forgive me, Lord, for all my sins. Give me a brand new heart. Fill me with your spirit. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. We hope you were encouraged by this study. If you have any questions, please call us at Calvary Chapel El Monte at air code 626-454-3414. Remember that Jesus loves you.